Well, what should we do? It's a question everybody's asking this week, right? Over and over. What should we do? Everybody in the whole country has asked the question. I can hear you. How's it going? Good. Yeah, you know, we're going to do all right. <clears throat> do I need to turn the microphone off or something? All over the place. That's the question I keep hearing. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? What shall we do? There's a few places in the Bible where people ask this question. And one of the places in the Bible they ask this question is a lot like the situation our country's facing right now, the whole world's facing right now, where everything seems turned upside down. Uh, The future seems like it's going to be very different from the past. Things that you could once count on, like NBA-based basketball, right? Like the basketball season, like uh, public school. Uh, Can't count on it anymore. It's changed. Everything that seems stable seems a little bit fragile. So what shall we do? So today I want to invite you to just take a break from the um, modern media and instead to listen to the voice of an ancient biblical prophet who answers the question, uh, what then shall we do? Micah was a prophet, lived 700 years before Jesus. He spoke the word of God to Israel over the span of many decades and the reign of three different kings. So imagine a person who speaks to the leadership of a whole nation over an extended amount of time. Probably the closest thing we have to something like this is Billy Graham, who passed away a couple of years ago, who served as a spiritual advisor to many presidents, starting with Harry Truman, our 33rd president, all the way through to Barack Obama, our 44th president. He was a spiritual advisor to the leaders of a nation. Micah's prophetic ministry lasted nearly as long as Billy Graham's, but unlike Graham, who was primarily an encourager to the leaders of our country, Micah's message to his people, to his leaders, the kings, and to fellow prophets was a message of confrontation. Um, Rather than encouraging his leaders to continue on, he was predicting large-scale destruction of his country, and he called the Israelites to repent and to cry out to God for mercy. Here's a quick snapshot into the voice of Micah. This is out of the the third chapter, verse 8. Micah says, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and with might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Now, Micah's going to continue to talk about Jacob and Israel. It could sound like they're two different people. They're not. It's the same name for the same person and the same people. One of the ancient ancestors of the people of Israel was Jacob. His grandfather was Abraham, the very first person in the people of Israel, right? So you got Abraham, his son is Isaac, Isaac's son is Jacob, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, Israel has 12 sons, they become the leaders of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. So when Micah, the prophet, speaks to Jacob and to Israel, it's just a way of reinforcing, of underlining the the message, kind of saying it twice to the same people. The New Testament writers also quote Micah, who's an Old Testament prophet, 700 years before Jesus. And they quote him because Micah predicts the destruction of Israel in his own time, but he also predicts the the destruction of Israel in the time of the early New Testament, the, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD in Rome. In other words, what Micah said came true 
700 years before Jesus, what Micah said came true 70 years after the birth of Jesus and the destruction of the temple. And I think there's great value in reading Micah today because the root evils that Micah identifies are transferable and they're still at work in our culture today. And it would be naive for us to believe that we could escape our own destruction if we follow in the rebellious footsteps of those who have throughout history chosen to neglect the way of life and instead have gone their own way. As we continue our Lent series, Meet My Needs, we're going to teach from the the well-known prophet, probably the most well-known verse from the prophet Micah's book, where the prophet explains in very simple language what is required of the people of God. It's a statement that is familiar, like the one that we've looked at from James two weeks ago. James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, And 700 years before, Micah says something similar. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? So if you put these two statements together, it creates a really helpful bottom line, five-point kind of rule of life or guide. And there's some really important basics, in other words, that needs to be a part of my life. From James, I need to visit the vulnerable, and I need to protect myself from becoming polluted by the world. And then from Micah, he's going to lay out three more words of instruction that are similar. But rather than to just pull that one sentence out of Micah, as clear and helpful and challenging as this one sentence is, I'd like to provide a little bit of context, which will really help us get the fuller picture um, of what this Jewish prophet who lived, get this, 2,700 years ago, what he said to his world, and how we might be guided by his words in our world today. This is the message of Micah in just a few words. The message, if you just get the message in just a few words, it's rebellion, and then judgment, and then restoration. That's what the story is about. Rebellion, followed by judgment, followed by the restoration of all things. That's the 40,000 foot view. Let's dive in a little deeper and let me give you a five point outline for the book of Micah. And I'll go fast through this because I'm just trying to kind of set the stage. Part number one, Israel's guilty of injustice. They've rebelled against God for 500 years. This is what he says in chapter one, verse three. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He dwells, he comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. Okay? Part one, Israel is guilty of injustice. Part two, those in power have abused it. Leaders, like civic authorities, they've grown wealthy through corruption. What Micah specifically points to is that his government has stolen property, and not just from anybody, but the government has stolen property from the poor, those with less power. Friends, let's all pay attention this week and in the coming weeks to which hotels are commandeered as a result of the statement made by the governor Let's pay attention to which hotels will be used and which hotels will be allowed to continue to work uh, according to their normal um, operation. Our country and our state have a very poor record of valuing the poor when it comes to exercising eminent domain. And while civic authorities have abused their power, Micah also laments that prophets or spiritual guides 
have not done what they're supposed to do. They have not told the truth. While civic leaders have stolen property, religious leaders have stolen the truth. They've stolen life. They don't tell people the truth. They just tell people what they want to hear. A typical message from those supposedly speaking of God or for God, Micah says in Micah 2.11 is this, I will prophesy to you plenty of wine and beer. Right out of Micah 2, that's what it says. That's what the prophets are telling the people. I will prophesy to you plenty of wine and plenty of beer. So the so-called prophets are just telling people what they want to hear. The crowds love it. They hire the prophets to come and speak at their gatherings. The prophets make a lot of money. It's a racket. Those with power, whether it's civic power or religious power, they've abused it. Different areas of leadership, but they share a common motivation, and that common motivation is greed. So part one of Micah, Israel's guilty of injustice. Part two, those with power, they've abused the power. Part three, there will be consequences for their rebellion. Micah declares that the people of Israel will be routed by Assyria, another nation. And that happens in 722 BC. And then he says, a couple generations later, the people of Israel will be carried away. And that happens by Babylon in 586 BC. Here's what Micah writes in chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. In other words, nationwide destruction will be the consequences of Israel's rebellion. Part one, Israel's guilty of injustice. What is that injustice? Those with power have abused it. Part three, there will be consequences for this rebellion. Part four, but there is hope. There is hope. What is the hope? It's that God will continue to shepherd his people. Micah says, declaring the words of God, I will surely gather you, all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. This is chapter 2, verse 12. I will bring them together like a sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture, the place will throng with people. So the leaders, both the civic leaders and the religious leaders, they failed to lead, but there's still hope. What is the hope? God is still their shepherd. God will protect them. God will guide them. God will care and for his people. He'll surround them with his love. The remnant will be protected. Who are the remnant? The faithful few that remain. And then the fifth part of Micah is this, that God will restore all things. Here, Micah prophesies future events that extend far beyond his time and his place. Three things specifically. There will be a new Jerusalem. That's part of the restoration of all things. Secondly, there will be a new king. And Micah prophesies that the king is going to be the Messiah. He prophesies the birth of Jesus. And third, there's going to be a new reality as part of the restoration of all things. And the characteristic of that new reality is this, there will be no evil. So there'll be a new kingdom, a new king, and a new reality in which there is no evil. This is the great hope that Micah prophesies, the hope of restoration. In other words, the destruction that God will allow as a consequence to the people's sin will not be permanent destruction. Jerusalem will become the site of heaven on earth. Once again, the kingdom of God. Look at Micah chapter 4 with me for a minute. Micah chapter 4 verse 1. This is what he says. This is the prophecy of the restoration of all things in Micah. 
In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples. He will settle disputes of strong nations far and wide. Here's a part maybe you've heard before. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. A nation will not take up sword against nation anymore, nor will they train for war anymore. Down a couple verses, Micah continues, In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief. What's he going to do with all that he assembles? I will make the lame my remnant. Those driven away will become a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. All right, the five parts of Micah once more. Israel's guilty of injustice. What's the injustice? Those with power have misused it. Part three, there will be consequences of their rebellion. Part four, there's hope. What is the hope? Ultimately, God is going to restore all things. Now, here's why I rolled out this outline, friends. This is the context, okay? This is the backdrop. This, it is in response to this, to, um, it's in response to what Mike is saying here, that the people cry out, what then shall we do? This is what leads them to this place of saying, what shall we do? We're familiar with Micah 6.8. Here's Micah 6.6 and 6.7. The people say, what, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It's desperate. Do you hear it? It's desperate. What shall we do? Everything's crashing. Nothing's going to be the same. What shall we do? And this is Micah's response. He's shown you, O man, He's shown you, O Adam, it actually says, right right out of Genesis. He's shown you, mortal, what is good. He's already shown you. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Let's spend just a few moments with that very first part, to do justice. Sometimes it says to act justly. Sometimes it's translated do justice. Listen, please notice, Micah is calling the people of God to work for justice in the midst of a national crisis. Do you hear that? When leadership is characterized by corruption and doom is drawing near, that is when he, it is in the chaos context. Mike is calling the people of God to do justice right then. He's not calling them to do justice when everything's going well, when everything's stable and secure, when people are looking for something meaningful to do with their spring break, because I got a little extra time and a little extra money. Is there something I could do to help somebody? 
That is not the context in which Micah is living. He's calling them to do justice exactly when everybody is looking out for themselves, hoarding toilet paper, right? (laughs) It may feel to you after a week of increasingly crazy news about a worldwide pandemic that's shutting everything down that I'm sorry, Nate, but doing justice is not exactly what's been on the top of my mind over the last few days. I'm just trying to figure out my life, how I'm going to take care of my kids who are no longer in school, what we're going to do to get basic work done, how we're going to get food in the house, basic stuff like that. Realize friends, realize that it is especially easy to think primarily about ourselves in times like this, but it is in times like this when God calls his people to act justly, to do justice. That's the way we say it in English. We say do justice. And I'll tell you why I don't like it like that. I don't like the phrase do justice because it sounds like a box I'm going to check and then I'll be done. The word, the, the, the original word actually has a generative component. It actually has a creative um, sort of meaning or, or, or um, impulse in it. It may sound a little weird to say it like this, a bit awkward, but a good translation might be to make justice, to make justice. There's a creative heart in justice, right? There's a restorative impulse in justice, You're making something, yes, but more specifically, you're putting something back together again that was broken or lost or damaged. That's what you're doing. You're making justice. You're accomplishing justice. You're taking all these broken pieces and you're putting them back together again and then you're you're presenting, you're bringing forth justice. You're doing the right thing. You're taking an unjust situation and you're, you're making it just again which all of you, nearly all the time, this is what you intend to do. This is what you want to do. This is what we believe in doing. But making justice often slides down the priority list when life gets difficult for us, doesn't it? When life gets challenging for us, when the world is going crazy and everybody's pretty focused on their own needs, their own survival, their own protection, understandably so. Listen, the responsibility of the people of God is to make justice. This is our time. Okay, to, to, to demonstrate a qualitative difference in the approach to life, right? To make justice. Our role in a chaotic world is to make justice. Church, this is our job right now. This is our job. Our job is to, when the people are saying, what shall we do? Micah responds, the Lord has already shown you what to do. Do justice, Make justice. Our response should be different than the world's response. And it doesn't need to be critical or snarky or, you know, superior or pejorative, but it should be different. The Christian church in Germany should have been a force for justice during the Nazi atrocities against the Jewish people and other non-Aryan groups in the 1930s and the 1940s. The church should have been this engine for justice. The Christian church in America should have been a force for justice during and way before the civil rights movement in the 1960s. But we, to a large degree, were not. What does the Lord require of you? That is Micah's 
haunting and clarifying question. And the answer is to do justice, to act justly, to make justice. All right, last question. How? How do we do this? Uh, That's the hard part, right? When it's all going crazy, it's hard to know how much of the time injustice is so layered, it's so baked into the system, so entrenched and tied to power, making justice feels really complicated. It feels so complicated and so challenging. We get overwhelmed and we default into doing nothing. It's apathy. How do we fix the American political system or something like that? So many layers of entrenched, institutionalized injustice. It may be easier just to throw up our hands and just say, I'm just not going to participate. Frankly, my concern in preaching a message about justice this morning is that many of us will hear me say justice is good and will agree, yes, justice is good, and then we will do nothing. We'll do nothing differently because it's hard to know what to do. So here's a few practical ideas. They're real. They're not easy. I see Micah calling the people of Israel to three acts of justice. They very much apply to us 2,700 years later. Micah calls out three groups of society. Each is guilty of their own injustice. The group he calls out are the groups are the people and the leaders and the prophets. One of those groups is of special interest to me, the prophets, because they're supposed to be the ones who are speaking the word of God, the truth of God. What is their problem? What's the prophet's injustice? They're only saying what the people want to hear. Plenty of wine and beer. They're going for the popularity rating. Micah calls these people liars and deceivers and false prophets. I am vulnerable to this kind of injustice. May God have mercy on me. May God have mercy on all who dare to proclaim the word of God in our culture. What do we need to do? We need to tell the truth. We need to tell the truth. Second group that Micah calls out are the leaders. What's the leader's injustice? It's corruption. They are abusing their power. They're reinforcing their own power. They're out for control and they're out for money. What do they need to do? What do we who are leaders? I think we all fit into most of these categories. In whatever context in which you are leading, what do you need? You need to be a giver, not a taker. You got to be a giver, not a taker. And the third group Micah calls out are the people, and we all fit in this category, absolutely. What is the people's injustice? It's idolatry, friends. It's idolatry. They are serving gods of their own design. They have idolized comfort, and that's where their money and their energy is focused. They have idolized success, and that's what they're worried about losing. They have idolized financial gain, and now they're trying to protect it. They have idolized popularity, so they want to be the ones saying all the interesting things. Their money and their time reveals what they worship, and it is not loving God and loving neighbor. It's loving themselves. Okay, so what do these three groups have in common? What is the What um, is the injustice that is common to prophets and to kings and to people? What is the root of their rebellion that has brought judgment and destruction and still brings brokenness to our culture today? I would submit that it's this, friends. 
The root of it all is selfishness. Okay, it's selfishness. Specifically, selfishness that is expressed through the way we manage our resources. You might say it's financial selfishness. But at the root of the financial selfishness is just core selfishness. It's all about me. The idol is myself. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to meet my needs. And that's a pretty core problem. I recognize that. It's been in the game since Genesis 3. We've been wrestling with it for a very long time. But part of the remedy for this problem is making justice. Okay? It is really hard to make justice and stay selfish. It's very hard to do both at the same time. When there are two cans of diced tomatoes left on the counter and you and I both reach for them, selfishness says, I take both of them because I got them first. Making justice means I give you at least one of them. It's as deep as the sin problem and it's as simple as sharing like you were taught to do when you were in kindergarten. That act or any other act that is motivated by a desire to make justice, that's the way, friends, that we defeat the selfish instinct inside. The selfishness that causes prophets to lie. The selfishness that causes leaders to steal and the selfishness that causes people to idolize created things. So friends, in this very inconvenient season of our lives, uh, in the midst of this fear and the perception of scarcity, which we almost never deal with in Northern California, when there's all this blaming and there's all this isolating and there's all these social ramifications it could make doing justice harder, not easier. This is not the ideal context in one sense for making justice. But this is the call to the people of God in this context. This is our responsibility in this context. There are very few things that God requires of us. One of them is to make justice. It's a requirement. The people of God will be the people who are making justice. The remnant, the faithful, will be known in part by their commitment to making justice. So, a month ago, we planned out fasts for Lent. And the fast that we set up for this week is fasting addition. Don't buy stuff all week. And, and I don't know the degree to which that is entirely practical um, in the face of now my kids are going to be home all week, those kinds of things. Maybe now I'm home from work. I don't know that everything's a bit, in, in some ways Lent has kind of been imposed on America, right? It's Lent, people. <laughs> um, so I don't want to be misunderstood as trying to enforce or even invite a, a highly legalistic approach to this fast. However, I do think there's great wisdom in this. When you purchase things this week, if you can find anything, right? if you go out and buy things this week, do not allow yourself to think justly of your own needs. right? Think of the needs of the eight or ten elderly women who are home alone in our community, these widows. The needs of others who, because of work and childcare and situations like that, are really going to have a hard time in the next few weeks. And maybe 
Think of those who are actually physically sick. So when you purchase things this week, would you do so intentionally? Would you hold in your, um, in your mind this invitation, which is actually more than an invitation, according to Micah, it is a requirement for us to be people who are making justice specifically with our resources. Amen? All right. God, I pray for your mercy on us. We pray for great wisdom and the ability to persevere a level of adversity that is almost unheard of for us. Um, And I pray for insight to navigate perception and reality. And I pray for love to pervade our actions. And I pray for the grace to stay connected to one another. Especially I pray for the lonely. And may the church be the church here at Emmaus, throughout the city of Lincoln, all throughout Placer County, state of California and beyond. May the church be the church. May the people of God make justice in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.